to continue our series in Philippians. We, uh, the last time when we left off, we had just rounded out Philippians chapter one, and uh, we are going to continue in chapter two. If you haven't been with us um, during this series, what we're doing is um, we're actually going to take uh, a couple of verses at a time and just kind of dissect and go through and uh, have some application there and different things. At different times, we'll do different types of series like Pastor Justin's series that aren't um, necessarily verse by verse or whatever, um, but they're all beneficial. It's all God's word. And um, we're going to continue starting um, in verse one tonight. I will tell you before we get started, um, tonight is one of those sessions where um, I'm not exactly sure how long it's going to take us to get through. What we usually try to do is like a, a 25 minute segment. I did not have confidence to think I could finish tonight in 25 minutes. So we're probably going to have one uh, big session. Um, but who knows? I may finish in 18 minutes. We'll see. Okay. Yeah, right. And everybody laughed. That was good. No, I'm good. Father, we do love you tonight and uh, we bless you. Uh, we know that you are holy, you are worthy, and uh, we know that your word's alive. I mean, it really is. And it does work that none of us could fathom deeply within the soul, within the spirit, within the mind of every person. And um, we invite that surgical precision into our hearts tonight, Lord. And I pray that you will strengthen us, that you will create us into the people of God that you have called us to be as you're doing so well. And so we thank you for it and for the gift of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Philippians 2, starting in verse 1 through 5, the Bible says to the people of Philippi, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing, do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. Uh, just a little bit of a recap. Church, or, uh, Paul is imprisoned in Rome. The church at Philippi he had planted years beforehand, he had visited with, uh, they heard about Paul's imprisonment and they went to send him a gift. They, they brought to him um, a love offering and Paul is responding to their gift in these four chapters in the book of Philip, uh, Philippians. And so this is part of his encouragement back to the people at Philippi. And the reason Paul begins to write like this is not necessarily because Paul sees this, you know, great piece of disunity within the fabric of the church at Philippi. That's not necessarily the case here. But Paul, in his wisdom, after planning so many churches, after, you know, living in Ephesus for a while and seeing just how the, the organism of the body of Christ takes shape and its ups and downs and ebbs and flows, um, Paul is wise enough to realize that no matter how wonderful the church is, there is always a threat of disunity within the body. 
And so Paul wants to give a preemptive strike before disunity becomes an issue. He wants to come in low and he wants to encourage them and affirm them and remind them that unity is essential for the power of God to be manifest among the people of God. And so unity, as Paul's talking here, um, it's the idea that, that you can be together in person, as we are here tonight, you can be together in person, but not necessarily together in spirit. You can be gathered in the same building, but your mindsets be completely different in a variety of different ways. And so we see this play out in American culture as well. We have, you know, people, especially in a church as large as ours, you have people who have different preferences preferences about how church should be done or, you know, different types of political ideas and beliefs, um, how they parent children, what the areas in their life they're going to embrace and neglect. I mean, there are just so many different, such a vast array of so many different views and opinions. But what Paul is really getting at is he's saying this, he's saying, listen, there are so many things that you can focus on in the world. There are so many things and so many avenues and so many people are different in so many different ways. But there are some things that you must be on the same page with. There are some things that you just must be on the same page with. And in that way, you can have the same mind, you can have the same heart, you can have the same purpose as a body of believers, even though there's tremendous diversity in the body of believers, right? And so Paul is saying this, he's saying, you know, he goes into this, uh, this opening verse and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a run-on sentence and he's just saying, if you've gotten this, if you've gotten that, if God has done this, if God has done that, and what he's basically saying, he's, he's saying, listen, if you've ever received anything from Christ, right, if, if God has ever done anything for you, strive for unity with one another, right? And so as, as Paul talks about this idea of unity, it's really the idea of harmony. I think harmony is, is a much better word for that. And the idea of harmony is this. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into some territory that is not my specialty, okay? So if I say something wrong, just be like, oh, he's an idiot. He's okay. He'll get it right later. Okay, somebody will correct me later. Um, but um, the idea of harmony is simply this, the way that I understand it. It's the ability to take multiple pitches and to blend them together to make something beautiful. It's the idea of being able to take multiple different pitches and to blend them together to make something beautiful. And so this is what we're going to do tonight. I've asked Pastor Glenn uh, to come and Nathan and, and Becca, my Becca, come on. These guys are going to come and they are going to demonstrate for us what I'm actually, what I have in mind. And what this will do will kind of set the foundation for, for where we're going tonight. So this is the idea of harmony. Now, Pastor Glenn, I'm going to lean on you a little bit tonight, okay, to kind of help me make sure I don't say the wrong thing. What's that? We're all going to lean on Rebecca. Okay, we're all leaning on Becca tonight. Okay, so the way that I understand it is I would like to hear Nathan start with a melody of a song. Just a melody. It can be one verse. It can be whatever you want. Just a melody. It'd be good if the mic was on. That's good. <laughs> there it there is. we go. <laughs> like the roar of many waters, like the sound of rolling thunder, Hallelujah, 
give him glory for the marriage of the lamb is coming okay beautiful i mean that's like butter you know i mean i just love it. okay so which one are we going to do next pastor glenn becca same mel- just a melody just a melody same song Many waters, like the sound of rolling thunders, hallelujah, give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb is coming. Good. Okay, is Becca's mic on? I can't hear. Okay, good. Okay. Now, this is what we're going to do now. We're going to hit all three, but during this stretch, they're going to harmonize, okay? They're going to come in harmony together, right? All right. Like the roar of many waters, like the sound of rolling thunders, hallelujah, give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb is coming. Man, that's amazing. Is that amazing? Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so you understand the concept here, right? Nathan sang, it was like, you know, butter. Becca sang, it was like molasses. But when they all sang, there was like this symphony of explosion and it just, it manifests in such a beautiful way. Now, they all three had different pitches, and they all have different lanes that they usually try to sing in, but when they work together and when they submit themselves to one another, all of a sudden there's a blending, and it makes something incredibly, incredibly beautiful. And so this is the idea of harmony. It's the idea that I can utilize my strength, and you can utilize your strength, but we use those strengths together to make something glorious, okay? And this is what Paul is really after. It's the idea of, you know, Paul writes, I believe it's to the Corinthians, and he's, he's talking and he's saying, listen, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And basically what he's saying is that the temple of the Holy Spirit, this, this involves all Christians all around the world. And what Paul is trying to get across is he's trying to say, listen, you may be a small block or you may be a corner block or you may be a block over here, you may be a two by four over here, but the purpose is, or the, the, the point is, is that each of you, regardless of what type you are, you are a part of the body of Christ. And so in an effort for us to build up this glorious temple, there's got to be an effort of us working together and serving one another, okay? So... The idea or the question comes up then, well, how do we walk together in harmony? Um, In your notes, it simply reads this. There's two points under this. Number one is simply this, that Christians are to avoid selfish behaviors. The second idea is that Christians are to embrace selfless behaviors, okay? Now, number one, the idea of avoiding selfish behaviors is uh, really made up with this idea of putting um, other people before myself, okay? Anytime that I act selfishly, 
This is when I am putting myself before someone else, whether my spouse or my children or my brother or my coworker or whatever the case is. It's when I'm putting myself ahead of their needs or at their expense, okay? And here's the, here's the difficult part about all this. Here in Western culture, we are really taught, we are trained to look out for number one, right? We're, we're taught, and it is inbred in us, at least it, it has been up until the last you know, 15 years, that if you are going to succeed, it's going to be because of what you do. And if someone gets in your way of success, you knock them out of the way to do that, okay? Now, there are pros and cons to that, okay? I'm not saying that, that serving self-interest is inherently a bad thing. If you notice what Paul says, he says, look not only to your own interests. In other words, he's not saying, you know, self-sabotage yourself. He's saying, listen, you have needs, you have interests, and that's okay. Just don't let those things become the priority as it relates to serving other people. And so, especially in a culture like ours, um, which, which, you know, I believe in hard work, I believe in a good work ethic and, and all of those kind of things, I'm simply saying this, it cannot be about me and me alone. The, the Christian life was never designed to be that way. God, uh, you know, in the beginning, there was an attempt one time to do it that way. And very, very quickly, the Lord said, it is not good that he's alone, right? And so we're a body of believers, we're a family of God, and we work together, we serve together, but in order to do that, we've got to avoid selfish behaviors. And so what that looks like is avoiding things that, um, you know, in my life, they, they only benefit me. It looks like not being the person that constantly talks about themselves all the time, it means uh, not being a person who constantly wants to seek the attention of everybody in the room. Um, you know, and I, and I realize different personalities are different, um, but even if we have a personality that is more like sanguine and kind of life of the party, there always still comes a time where you humble yourself and step out of the spotlight and allow someone else to step in the spotlight. You know? And so we, we have to look out for, for other people this afternoon. Um, I went downtown to meet my oldest daughter for lunch, and as I was driving downtown, uh, parking was atrocious. It was, it was just a disaster. And, and so I'm, I'm going down the road, and I, I'm about to pull left into this parking spot, and all of a sudden, this person from the other lane comes and pulls right into the parking spot. Now, I'm going to try to give her the benefit of the doubt that she did not see me, Okay. But we have all had situations where we were waiting on the spot and we got robbed or somebody else was waiting at the spot and we robbed them, right? And the idea, regardless of, of which way you pivot, it's the same thing. It's the idea of selfishness and we are called as believers in Christ to avoid those types of things. The trouble is, is that it, it lives inside of all of us. 
the, the desire to want, the desire to be first, the desire to, you know, have uh, accolades, the desire to be in a spotlight, all of these things kind of, kind of dwell within us. And so what Paul is doing preemptively is he's trying to get them to learn to resist. Resist that desire to elevate yourself in, in the room. Resist that desire to put yourself in a place where you can receive recognition whether you really deserve it or not, Right? Jesus, way back in, in Matthew chapter 6, we find him and he's, you know, he's talking about um, when you give, make sure that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand's doing. He talks about when you fast and when you pray. Jesus is assuming that the Christian believer is going to do all these things, but then he's given a little bit more of a caveat and he's saying, listen, when you do these things and you are expected to do these things, when you do them, don't do them where people are watching you. Like, like, hide yourself in a place. When you go to fast, clean yourself up, throw water in your face so that nobody can tell that you're offering a, a sacrifice of worship to the Lord. And this is what he says. He says, when you choose to avoid that selfish behavior and you put that off and you resist the desire to elevate yourself, he says, at that moment, that's when your father, who is in heaven, sees all things in secret places. And then listen to this. This is what he says. He says, and then the father who sees those things will reward you openly. So it's this whole mindset that says, I'm not going to put myself up front. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to do all things as unto him. And in the fullness of time, he is going to put me where I need to be. He's going to be the one to position me. I'm not going to position myself. He is going to be the one to do it. And in that, not only are we highest honored, but he is most glorified. And so, number one, how do we walk in harmony with one another? Well, it, it's pretty simple. To avoid selfish behaviors, okay? Well, it sounds simple. It's not really simple to do. Number two, though, in order to walk in harmony with one another... Christians are to embrace selfless behaviors, okay? Now, harmony is rooted in selflessness, okay? But in order to be a selfless person, it requires effort and attention. It doesn't just happen. It's like humility. It doesn't just come about because we had a good night's sleep. It's something that must be desired and pursued, okay? I'm going to tell you something really silly that, that I used to do early. Uh, well, maybe it's not silly, but I think it still honored the Lord, but it, it may seem silly to you. But, it, you know, 15 years ago, I was really trying to develop uh, a posture of selflessness, of humility with, within myself, and uh, it was not going well, okay? And so I, I just decided I have got, there are just certain things I've got to do to learn to die to my flesh, to die to myself, and to put others before me and everything. And I'm going to tell you what, I know, I know I'm, I'm thin, it's metabolism because this boy loves food, okay? I love to eat. I enjoy all types of, or most types of food. Um, and I remember um, one time what I decided to do, and this was for probably the better part of a year, I decided when Autumn and Easton were really, really young that when I was eating a meal, you know how kids always like to eat off your plate? They just do that. They're like little rodents. You know, they, they love to eat off your plate. And so my kids would always want to, to eat off my plate. And I decided that when they asked if they could have food off of my plate, 
um, that I was going to start giving them the best piece of food from my plate. Right? Exactly. Okay? It was very, very difficult to me. If you're not a foodie, you, you know, you're just like, that's not a big deal. It was a huge deal. Okay? And I remember just going through this process, and I was thinking, this is the dumbest thing I've ever had to do. It should not be difficult for me to give my children what's best. It shouldn't be hard. But it was one of the toughest things that I had to do. It was just this act of self-denial. as like, I'm dying for them because I love them, you know? Um, but again, it's, it's this, this effort and this giving attention, a focused attention of saying, no, I refuse to, to be the person that puts myself in a certain place. I want to be a person that puts myself second or puts myself, um, you know, somewhere behind first. Because being selfless is more about what we should do than about what we should not do. Okay? So this is how Paul puts it. Paul says, you're to prefer others over yourself, okay? Well, how do I prefer my wife over myself, okay? There, I mean, you fill in the blanks. How do I prefer my children over myself? How do I prefer my coworkers over myself? How do I prefer other students or teachers over myself? If I'm going to be a person that is practicing selflessness, I've got to practically figure that out. And so Jesus would say it like this. He would say to the Pharisees, he would say, woe to you Pharisees, and listen to how practical Jesus gets. He says, when you go into a banquet, when you go into a dinner, you're the first ones to go to the seat of honor. You're the first ones to get up there with the, with the you know, whoever's speaking that day or the, you know, prestigious leader that's coming. You're the first one that runs up there. And Jesus says practically, he's like, man, it should not be like that for you. You should, should defer that to someone else and you should take somebody who is maybe at a lower rank than you and you should prefer them over yourselves and allow them to do that. Jesus is even saying, you know, the, the practicing of, of humility, he says, listen, if somebody asks for your, uh, for, your, for your cloak, give them your cloak and your shirt. If a Roman soldier comes to you and says, you know, carry this for a mile, carry it for two miles. Jesus is practically trying to help his followers understand what it means to live humbly, to live selfless lives for the glory of God. And I'm going to tell you the most, the most powerful way that this is seen in the lives of believers is when we are willing to embrace things for people or prefer other people over ourselves. And those people are people that can do nothing for us. That's children. That's the elderly. That's people who are disabled or people that have no you know, social status. When we begin to serve people that can do nothing for us, that is one of the highest tiers of humility and selflessness. And that's where Jesus is, is calling us. So, so selflessness is applicable in, in a lot of different areas of life. And again, it's not self-sabotage, okay? It's not, you know, it's not this flogging of oneself. That is not what this is about. C.S. Lewis made this profound statement. He said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, okay? So this is not a, a practice in hating yourself. He said it is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. In other words, I am not gonna step into the restaurant and try to find the best seat at the table. 
I'm going to prefer that to someone else. I'm going to allow someone else. I'm going to think of myself less and think of them more so that they can sit at a place of honor, right? So, so much of this, when we begin talking about humility and, and selflessness as it, as it relates to, to harmony, um, so much of this is connected. There's a direct correlation to how we see ourselves in the kingdom of God, right? I remember, I think it was uh, Robert Morris who said this one time. He said that inside of every Christian is a Pharisee that thinks they are superhuman above the rest of people. And so they elevate themselves and they go after the best and they think of themselves first, all this. But he said also within every Christian is a prostitute who views themselves as subhuman, not superior to other humans. And it's that in between where we have to, as Christian believers, we have to land kind of in the middle there where we don't see ourselves as dirt, right? But we also don't see ourselves as superior. Uh, this, is what, this is what Paul said to the Romans. He said, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. He's saying, listen, don't, don't think of yourself. And he, and, he, and he goes on the high end, he says, don't think of yourself as way up here, okay? You're not as good as you think. But I think that if Paul could speak to us today, he would also say, but there are some of us, we're not as bad as we think either, right? There is this, there is this middle ground and we've got to see ourselves properly, right? So we've got to remember that we were once sinners, but now we are saints, right? We were once orphans, but now we're sons and daughters. But listen, I want to remind us of, of the highest title, right? It's this upside down kingdom. The highest title that, that we are called by is we are called servants, you remember in, in each of the, or many of the epistles, as Paul is opening, as uh, Paul is opening for Timothy, as James opens his epistle, uh, in 2 Peter, as Peter opens his epistle, they're using phraseology that says, listen, I am a servant of Jesus Christ, but I am called to be an apostle. You notice the, the language there, right? This is what they're saying. They're saying, who I am is a servant. I serve all people. I humble myself. I prefer others over myself. That's who I am at my core. Who I am at my core is connected to my calling, but it's not my calling. My calling is something different that God is doing in me. But who I am, whether I'm fulfilling this office or not, who I am is a servant of the Most High God. And so we, we, we have to see ourselves in proper lighting. Jesus, the king of every king, how, what does he say? He says, listen, I did not come to be served by people. I came to serve people. If anybody could have, you know, pulled the card, it would have been him. But yet he chose to preserve, uh, prefer all of humanity even before himself. Okay, so it's this idea of not embracing, you know, those things that are selfish, but also actively pursuing things that are selfless, practically doing things that are selfless, okay? And so the question comes up, well, should there always be harmony in the body of Christ? And I would simply, I, I'm going to give my answer, but then I'm going to articulate why. I do not think there should always be harmony in the body of Christ, okay? And there's, there's a good reason why um, I want to I kind of walk down this with you, 
okay? Um, I want to I focus for a few minutes on why I do not think there should be harmony in the body of Christ as it relates to doctrine, as it relates to Christian theology, okay? But then I'm going to go into like practical, you know, our, our everyday lives. But I think if we don't start here, it's difficult to understand all this other stuff, okay? So I'm going to simply say that in the world that we live in today, what we have not done well in Christian America is we have not properly prioritized doctrines that matter most, okay? And so what I mean by that is that there, although the word of God is inerrant, it's true, it's all truth, there are some things in the word of God that are more important than other things in the word of God, okay? This is what Paul says. He says, listen, there are matters of first importance is what he would call it. So in other words, there are some things that all matters, but some things matter at different tiers and at different levels. And so very, very quickly to give you a synopsis, a very, a very quick understanding of, of what I mean, um, I, I think I may have gone through this before in here, but, but number one in this little section is this, is that there are some points of discussion or doctrine that should always be negotiable. Okay, there are certain things that, that we could argue or discuss till the cows come home, and frankly, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day, okay? Things like certain eschatology. So whether Jesus is coming before the tribulation, during the tribulation, or after the tribulation, you don't know and nobody else knows. So why are we sitting around arguing, having these, these knockdown dragouts about it? There are some things that we can just agree, I, I get where you're coming from, but I, I just think differently, and that's okay. We shouldn't lose fellowship over that. We shouldn't have issues. Um, there, there are issues where um, there are gray areas in Scripture. Okay, let's take alcohol, for example. There, there are certain things, you know, drunkenness is obviously not a gray area. But as far as, uh, you know, social, just, just casually, you know, having a glass of wine without getting drunk, okay? Um, this is a very gray area for a lot of Christians. And so these are areas where I'm not going to lose, I definitely have a position on that, but I'm not going to lose fellowship with my brother if he disagrees with me, okay? Now, if he's out getting drunk, okay, we're going to have a talk. But if we just disagree on something, I can live in, in, in fellowship with that. I think it was um, Spurgeon, I think he was, he was pretty... Um, uh, pretty pithy, but uh, a lady came up to him one time. He was smoking a cigar, and uh, he, she said, well, when you get to heaven, where do you think you're going to put out your cigar? And he said, probably in your cup of coffee, <laughs> right? And so this is what he was saying. He was saying, you're picking and choosing, which I'm, I'm having nicotine, but you're having caffeine, and you're judging. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so that was not a <laughs> that was not an endorsement for either of those things. I'm just simply saying that that's something that we can all agree to disagree on, okay? And it needs to be done with incredible maturity, okay? The problem is in so much of the church in Western culture over the last 20 years, we have taken issues like this and made them mountains, but yet we have taken core issues of the Christian faith and acted like they don't even exist, Okay, and so there's this question, well, why are we having all this confusion within the church about, you know, uh, you know, gender identity and about, you know, marriage and what it should look like? You know, why, why are all the churches confused? Well, they're confused because they don't have the foundation solid set yet, 
right? And therefore, everything else, if, if Christ and the deity of Christ and the blood of Christ and all that kind of stuff, the resurrection, if all that's up for grabs, everything's going to be up for grabs, okay? And so we haven't done a great job of focusing on the things that need to be major and letting the minor things go. Instead, we focused on the minor stuff that doesn't make a hill of beans in eternity, and we've let the major stuff kind of go by. And so there, there are some things with, with minor things that, that are always negotiable. Number two, there are some points of discussion and doctrine that should be sometimes negotiable. Okay, so this is some things where it's like, well, I see where you're coming from, but I really have a pretty strong opinion about this. This could be, you know, how you receive communion. Um, there are some people that believe, you know, I, I ran into a lady one time and she said, no, if we're going to receive communion, it's going to be wine. Jesus drank wine. It's got to be wine. Okay, and I was like, okay, I disagree, but, you know, we, we can agree to this. So, so there, there are some things that are somewhat negotiable right? Like, for instance, there, there are those that believe that, that angels are kind of just non-existent at this point as far as their interaction with humans. And then there are Christians that believe, no, angels are a part of everyday life for, for Christians. And so there are some things that we can just kind of disagree on, but we don't have to lose fellowship over, okay? But thirdly, there are some points of discussion and doctrine that should never be negotiable, these are the doctrines that I, that I just mentioned, that Jesus is God, that there is a heaven and that there is a hell, and that the bodily resurrection of Jesus was an actual event that happened, okay? There will be a resurrection of the dead. Like, these are things that we cannot walk away from. I would even contend that if you do not believe these things, you're not a Christian, okay? It's just part of the Christian faith, and that's not to be, you know, difficult or anything. I'm just saying, I mean, it's possible. I don't think it's possible to be in this church for, you know, years and never heard that, but I think it's possible to be in a lot of churches in America and to have never heard that, okay? There, there are studies that are, that are being revealed right now over the past three or four years that are, that are suggesting things like more than half of people that say that they are Christians do not believe core issues of Christian faith, I mean, like basic stuff that you learn in Sunday school. And so, therefore, it's a, it's a reflection that we have not properly focused on what needs to be focused on. We focused on all this other fluff, okay? And so, it's a call back to all this. So, should there always be harmony in the body of Christ? No, there shouldn't. Because sometimes we need to break fellowship over certain doctrinal beliefs. I think there's just a certain time now. I think those things are pretty rare, but I think, I think that there are some things that, that just cannot be touched. We've got to draw a line in the sand. I think it's that very important. Because if we do not set those in the order of priority, chaos will ensue and harmony will go away anyway. Okay? So what we tried to do in the church in the West is we've tried to create this pseudo-harmony that says, well, if I can just be agreeable about everything, there will be harmony. But that has not worked out very well for us. Okay? Now is the time for Christians. Now is the era for Christians to rally together and to shore up the most important beliefs that we have. It's, it's time to bring definition. It's time to say, this is, you know, as far as I will go with that, this is the time to do that. Because listen to me, when persecution begins, it's too late. 
At that point, it's too late. If you don't have things figured out, it's, it's too late at that point. So now is the time that we shore up on the things that we most believe. And let me just say this. I think that the things that should be majors in our life should be a relatively short list. But the things that are minors in our life should be very long lists, okay? There are only a few things that I'm willing to lose fellowship with another person over, okay? Um, I realize that in, in Scripture, you know, we have Paul and Barnabas, and they kind of they, they split up over an issue. It wasn't a doctrinal issue, okay? This is where we shift from doctrine. I just wanted to, to make it clear there, and now we're going to kind of focus a little bit on just everyday living. Paul and Barnabas, their split over John Mark was not doctrinal. It was not theological. It was preference-oriented. It was their opinion. Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark along because he believed in the young guy, but Paul was just so headstrong. He said, no, he abandoned us. I don't have time for this. Cut him loose, all this kind of stuff. The Bible says their, their arguments got so heated, they ended up going different ways, yeah. right? And I know that some people say, well, well look what God did. He, you know, he, he did work with Paul over here and Barnabas over here. And, and I agree, God blessed it. But I do want to say that just because God blesses something doesn't mean that it was in the will of God. I don't think it, that it was in the will of God that, that Barnabas and Paul split. I don't think that was God's perfect will. Why? Because there was a disruption of harmony over something that wasn't critical, right? But the reality is, is that for so many of us, there are times where we allow division in our relationships over issues that are not critical, right? And, and there are issues that are critical, there are, you know, if, if you have uh, somebody in your family and they have been, you know, arrested for child molestation and they do not seem repentant or whatever, um, yeah, I don't think you should have your kids around that person, okay? I, just, I mean, that's just wisdom, okay? But the point is, is that the majority of things that, that we have great divisions within our families or our friendships over different things like that, the vast majority, I wouldn't say the vast majority, but I think a lot of times they're not really over critical issues. And so all I'm simply saying is this. I think for each of us, when it comes to doctrine, I think there should be some major things that we will not negotiate. But then there's a lot of other stuff we need to negotiate. And then I think with our interpersonal relationships, there need to be some things that we just will not negotiate. But then a lot of things that we will negotiate and try to work through. Okay, Jesus affirms the importance of this when in Matthew 18, he's talking about when, you know, uh, someone sins against you or, or you sin against them or whatever the case is. Listen, let's come together and let's see if we can bring reconciliation to this. He doesn't define what the sin was. Right. But I think that was by intention because he wants us to understand that that most of the things that happen in life, most things we can reconcile because most things are not critical. Okay, so um, do I always believe that there should be harmony? Um, not always, but I think that we should always fight for harmony, okay, within the body of Christ. Um, next, very quickly, why is harmony so difficult? Okay, why is harmony so difficult? And I'm just simply going to point us back to the 12 disciples that Jesus chose, okay? Now, let me remind you, this is God choosing his closest inner circle. God is choosing his closest inner circle. And I want you to remember the personalities, and I want you to remember that some of these people had very passionate political stances, 
I mean, very passionate. Some were zealots. Others were, you know, closer connected to the Romans. I mean, you had a lot of stuff going on in there. You had people of different career paths. Some were married, some weren't married, some had kids, some didn't have kids. But, but the point is, is, is simply this, that, that even as Jesus, God, brought all of these men together, that there were still conflict and there were times where things weren't harmonious, right? There were times where a couple of the disciples, they were like, Jesus, I'm going to just, I'm gonna just call fire down and take care of these guys, okay? They're getting on my nerves, right? I mean, that's a pretty bold statement right, to call fire down from heaven to consume the flesh of men that you've been living with for the past couple of years, like that's, that's bold. But the point is, is that there were moments even with Jesus's inner circle where things weren't harmonious. And it's just a part of the fall. It's a part of our human condition. It's a part of just living with other people that there are moments where we are going to, you know, rub each other wrong, that there's going to be disagreement. We're not going to like the way that somebody comes off. We're going to be in a bad mood. They're going to be having a rough day. All of these types of situations just kind of collide at different times. And so that's what makes... um, uh, you know, living in harmony so different is that it's me, right? It's you, it's us. And it's difficult for us to live in in a continuous state of uh, harmony. But this is, listen, this is why Paul would say in the book of Ephesians, I think it was chapter four, this is what he said. He said, but as it is up to you, make every effort to live with the bond of peace, right? So what is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, dude, if it's up to you, because sometimes it's not, sometimes people are just difficult, but as it relates to you, make every effort. In other words, fight for harmony, fight for unity, fight to be selfless, fight to, you know, put other people ahead of you and to think of yourself less. And then Paul wraps this part up and we're going to focus next week, the two sessions, we're going to focus on this. But, but Paul wraps this whole section up by telling us why. Why are we fighting for this? Why, why is this so important? And this is how he wraps it up. He says, because even Jesus, being equal with God, chose this path. And because he chose this path as his followers, we choose that path. And so it's a very difficult uh, concept for all of us, really, to get our minds around. But I want to encourage you in this, this last couple of minutes, this last session, I want to remind us and I want to encourage us how powerful and important it is when we choose to fight for harmony with one another as body of believers. So number one is this. Harmony results, when we really strive for harmony, harmony results in everyone having an individual expression. Okay. Now, I realize that there are some people that are here tonight that you're like, I don't want an individual expression, okay? I just want to like, I want to come in late to church and I want to leave early and I love people, but I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to do anything. I just want to grow in God, okay? I get that. I understand that. But the way that God has designed us is the analogy that Paul uses. He calls us a what? He says, you are a body of believers, right? And the way that Paul kind of articulates this is he says, you know, some of you serve as a bicep. You're the the muscle that causes the hand to be able to do what the hand needs to do. 
Some of you are ears so that you can hear better what the Spirit is saying. Some of you are eyes so that you can see in ways that other people can't. Some of you are pinky toes, right? And you don't think that's a big deal, but chop that sucker off and let's see how straight you walk, right? This is what Paul's saying. He's saying you are a body of believers and every part of the body matters. Every part of the body has a function Every part of the body is essential to make sure that the body operates the way that God has called it to. This is what Paul kind of chopped up uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but listen to what Paul says. He says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other, right? I know I'm going to harp on this all the days of my life. If if, uh, uh, until you are a dead person, you are not a done person. There is a spiritual gift that exists within every single one. If you are a born-again believer, God in his word says that a spiritual gift has been imparted to you, at least one. And the reason he's given you that spiritual gift is so that you can help other people. In fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be, and there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. You hear that? He's saying, and he goes into this, you know, kind of tirade. He goes into a little rant. And he starts talking. He's saying, what do you mean you think you're better than the earlobe? Just because you're a finger doesn't mean you're any better. And he really paints this beautiful picture that even the least desirable parts of the body are still incredibly essential right, to the kingdom of God. The difficulty with this is that we tend to be a people in our fallenness that want to compare ourselves with other people. And so what we will do is we'll see the spiritual gift that God in his glorious kindness has imparted to us, and then we will look at what he has imparted to somebody else and say, oh, I wish I had that instead of this, right? Or we will be people that do not really acknowledge the power of the gift that he's given us and the full like potential for that gift. Um, I was at, uh, Joy and I went to a preaching conference a couple of weeks ago. And um, it was amazing. It was, it was in Atlanta and uh, it, was, it was so neat. But we, you know, we're in a room with, you know, 1,500, you know, other preachers and everything and, you know, we've been in ministry for over 20 years. And so we've, we've seen, we've been to so many conferences and seen, you know, all the, all the personalities and different things. And at a certain point, I remember sitting and I I was just kind of scanning the room and I was looking at the kids that were like in their, you know, 20, 25 years olds and different things like that. And I remember just thinking, I was like, I remember being 25 years old in a room this size And when I was sitting in the room, I was looking at that person on stage, and I remember just thinking, I'll never be able to speak the way that they can speak. I'll never have the anointing that they carry. I'll never, da-da-da, you know, and just going on. And my heart, like in the moment, my heart kind of broke for all of those guys in their 20s, you know? And I was just like, if they only knew, if they only knew that this is not where any of these guys and women began, they, they had to hone their gift. They had to develop their gift. They had to grow in their gift. They had to go to preaching conferences themselves so that they could end up where they are today. And my heart just went out to all these young ones because I knew in the back of their minds, at least for some of them, that 
that there's this idea that I will never, I will never, I will never. And I just want to look at them and I will say, but you were never intended to. You were never intended to. You were never intended to. You were intended to be who God called you to be. And you were to walk in the anointing he called you to walk in. And you were to have the voice that he's called you to have. And, and I just wanted to, to walk around and just lay hands and shake them. And, and it's this whole idea. And, and listen, here's the thing that I see so often in the body of Christ. I see the same type of mentality. I see the same type of mentality of people, you know, just like, well, I'm kind of washed up or, you know, yeah, that was maybe in a younger day I may have, or there, there are some that are saying, well, I'm not old enough yet. And you just have it all over the map. But the scriptures that are alive and active today say that if you are living, you have a spiritual gift within you. And this is what happens. When we, when we strive for harmony all of a sudden, the people of God that are confident in their giftings, you know what they want to do? They don't want to always be the person in the spotlight. They don't always want to be the person on the stage. You know what they do incredibly? They begin to take others who are behind them, and they begin to push them to the forefront of the stage. You know who does that so incredibly well? Pastor Glenn. Glenn Burchett does a phenomenal job of preferring. Now, he, he carries a powerful anointing. But what he has done so well is he has trained and prayed and mentored and coached these younger ones. Why? Because he's not insecure of what they can do. He understands the body of believers and they have a spiritual gift that you and I need. And if he holds on to the reins for too long, you're not going to get the benefit of seeing that glory that God has given to them. And so as we begin to walk in humility and we begin to prefer other people and, and there's a, a sense of, of harmony, there are individual expressions that just begin to pop up all over the place. I mean, it's really a beautiful, it's an incredible, incredible thing. And so an individual expression is one of the results of harmony. Number two, uh, very quickly, another result of harmony is that everyone uh, has a bond of unity, love, and honor. Okay. Now, again, I want to, I want to reemphasize this. Harmony doesn't just happen. Okay. It would be awesome if I could have stepped up here with, you know, Becca and Nathan and Pastor Glenn and been like, ah, or whatever. You see, that's why I didn't. Okay. But, but my point is, is that they have trained themselves. They have worked hard to be able to harmonize in that way. And for us to be able to harmonize at the as the body of believers, it requires work. It just does. There's great risk involved, but without risk, there's no reward. And so um, we, we walk in a, in a sense of unity and love and honor, um, but, but the primary effort for all of us in order to achieve that is to humble ourselves and to prefer others before us, okay? Then finally, number three, is that harmony results in everyone having power from heaven, okay? If you notice in scripture, an emphasis, whenever you see an emphasis given over and over and over again, like things that are repeated or themes that are repeated, it's because the Lord is trying to hammer that into our soul, right? You've heard people say, you know, uh, well, you know, it, it seems like God was just so harsh in the Old Testament, and Jesus is just so tender. You, you've heard that argument, and I'll diffuse that another night. But, but let, me, let me just begin with this. You realize that the most repeated verse in the Bible, where the Bible re repeats itself time and time again, you realize that this is it in the book of Exodus, 
right? The second book of Scripture, this is what is most repeated. And the Lord passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So why does God repeat this over and over and over again? Because he wants his people to know his character. They want, he wants them to understand that, yeah, there's wrath being poured out, but this is who I am at my core, right? And so whenever you see these themes repeated over and over again, it's because God is really trying to communicate something. And one of the most powerful things that, that you will see if you, if you look for it that's kind of sprinkled all throughout Scripture is this idea that when people come together, there is power, okay? Um, one of the first times we see it, we see it in a negative connotation or in a negative context, and we see it at the Tower of Babel, right? The Lord says, he looks and he says, these people, they are speaking the same language. They're doing the same thing. They are of one mind. They are of one accord. They are of one heart. They have one purpose. And this is what the Lord says. They will be able to do anything they set their minds to, right? So this is God from heaven saying there is power in their harmony, right? There's a power that comes along with that. Later in Scripture, you find Jesus where he's, you know, Scripture is talking about um, when you come together in my name, If two or three of you agree on any one thing, as it is set in heaven, it shall be done. And so Jesus, he's not dismissing the importance of individual prayer. He's not, you know, silencing solo prayer. But he's saying this. He's saying, but when two or three of you come together in agreement, he says what? It's like like a three-stranded cord that can't easily be broken. So what is he saying? He's saying when there's harmony, there's power, right? Then you see where he says, listen, when you're going to confront a person over sin, he says, go by yourself. And if it doesn't work, then what? Take somebody with you. And if that doesn't work, what? Go get the church. In other words, what he's saying, he's saying, listen, when there is harmony, there is power. There's strength in these numbers. And then by the time you get to the upper room, there are 120 men and women in this room. And they're tearing, they are waiting, they're seeking the face of God. And the Bible says that they were together in one heart and one accord. In other words, they had their their sights set on pursuing the Spirit of God. And we all know how that ended up. The power of God came. The power of God fell. There was a feeling. there There was tongues. It was all of this stuff. Why? Was it just because there was harmony? No, there were other factors involved. But harmony is what was spoken specifically to in the Scripture. And it was spoken again and again and again so that we would understand the significance of being bound together in a bond of peace and in a harmonious state, okay? And so as we, you know, know, attend a church like this where there is tremendous harmony, right, the the instinct is just, you know, it can be kind of like, let's just let's hop on the wave and let's just ride the, the, you know, the harmony out and everything. And, and I think that we should. But I also think that like Paul, we should, we should be aware of the potential for disunity to come 
And so we need to be, we need to have our eyes open and we need to be focused and we need to be able to take moments where we may see a hint of disunity and we may need to step in and bring harmony to that situation. Amen? Amen. Amen.